Chapter Twenty One of the Enchanted Barn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. The Enchanted Barn by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Twenty One. Sidney Graham went back to the city the next morning. They all stood out on the piazza to watch the big car glide away. Doris stood on the railing of the piazza, with Shirley's arm securely about her, and waved a little fat hand. Then, with a pucker of her lip, she demanded, "'Fight does my Mr. Dwayam do away. I don't want him to do away. I want him to stay with me always, don't you, Shirley?' Shirley, with glowing cheeks, turned from watching the retreating car, and put her little sister down on the floor suddenly. "'Run and get your hat, Doris, and we'll take a walk on the sand.' she said smiling alluringly at the child till the baby forgot her grievance and beamed out with answering smiles that was a wonderful day they all took a walk on the sand first george pushing his mother in a big wheeled chair belonging to the cottage elizabeth was guide and pointed out all the beauties of the place telling eager bits of reminiscence from her childhood memories to which even george listened attentively from having been only tolerant of her, George had now come to look upon Elizabeth as a good scout. When Mrs. Hollister grew tired, they took her back to the cottage and established her in a big chair with a book. Then they all rushed off to the bathhouses and presently emerged in bathing suits, Doris looking like a little sprite in her scarlet flannel scrap of a suit, her bright hair streaming, and her beautiful baby arms and legs flashing white like a cherub's in the sunlight. They came back from their dip in the wave, hungry and eager to the wonderful dinner that was served so exquisitely in the great cool dining-room, from the windows of which they could watch the lazy ships sailing in the offing. Doris fell asleep over her dessert, and was tumbled into the hammock to finish her nap. Carol and Elizabeth and the boys started off crabbing, and Shirley settled herself in another hammock, with a pile of new magazines about her, and prepared to enjoy a whole afternoon of laziness. It was so wonderful to lie still, at leisure and unhurried, with all those lovely magazines to read and nothing to disturb her. She leaned her head back and closed her eyes for a minute, just to listen to the sea and realize how good it was to be here. Back in her mind there was a pleasant consciousness of the beautiful yesterday and the beautiful tomorrows that might come when Sidney Graham returned, but she would not let her heart dwell upon them. That would be humoring herself too much, and perhaps give her a false idea of things. She simply would not let this wonderful holiday be spoiled by the thought that it would have to end some day, and that she would be back at the old routine of care and worry once more. She was roused from her reverie by the step of the postman, bringing a single letter for her. It was addressed in an unknown hand, and was in a fat long envelope. Wonderingly she opened it and found inside a bank book, and blank check-book, with a little note on which was written, Dear little girl, this is just a trifle of that present we were talking about the other day that belongs to you. It isn't all by any means, but we'll see to the rest later. Spend this on chocolates or chewing gum or frills, or whatever you like, and have a good time down at the shore. You're a bully little girl, and deserve everything nice that's going. Don't be too serious, Miss Shirley. Play a little more. Your elderly friend, Walter K. Graham. In the bank book was an entry of $5,000 on check account. Shirley held her breath and stared at the figures with wide eyes, then slipped away and locked herself in the big white room that was hers. Kneeling down by the bed, she cried and prayed and smiled all in one, and thanked the Lord for making people so kind to her. After that, she went to find her mother. 
Mrs. Hollister was sitting on the wide upper piazza in a steamer chair looking off to sea and drawing in new life at every breath. Her book was open on her lap, but she had forgotten to read in the joy of all that was about her. To tell the truth, she was wondering if the dear father who was gone from them knew of their happy estate, and thinking how glad he would be for them if he did. She read the letter twice before she looked at the bank book with its astonishing figures, and heard again Shirley's tale of the happening in the office the morning of the arrest. Then she read the letter once more. "'I'm just not sure, daughter,' she said at last with a smile, "'what we ought to do about this. Are you?' "'No,' said Shirley, smiling. "'I suppose I'll give it back. But wasn't it wonderful of him to do it? Isn't it grand that there are such men in the world?' It certainly is, dear, and I'm glad my little girl was able to do something that was of assistance to him, and that she has won her way into his good graces so simply and sweetly. But I'm not so sure what you ought to do. Hadn't we better pray about it a bit before you decide? How soon ought you to write to him? It's too late to reach him before he leaves for California, isn't it? Oh, yes, he's just about starting now, said the girl. Don't you suppose he planned it so that I couldn't answer right away? I don't know his address. I can't do a thing till I find out where to write. I wouldn't like to send it to the office, because they would probably think it was business, and his secretary might open it. Of course. Then we'll just pray about it, shall we, dear? I'm not too sure in my mind whether it's well-meant bit of charity that we ought to hand back with sincere thanks, or whether it's God's way of rewarding my little girl for her faithfulness and quickness of action. Our father knows we have been, and still are, in a hard place— he knows that we have need of all these things that money has to buy. You really did a good thing and saved Mr. Graham from great loss, you know. And perhaps he is the kind of man who would feel a great deal happier if he shared a little of it with you, was able to make some return for what you did for him. However, five thousand dollars is a great deal of money for a brief service. What do you think, dear? I don't know, mother dear. I'm all muddled, just as you say. But I guess it will come right if we pray about it. Anyhow... I'm going to be happy over his thinking of me, whether I keep it or not. Shirley went thoughtfully back to her hammock and her magazines, a smile on her lips, a dream in her eyes. She found herself wondering whether Sidney Graham knew about this money, and what he would wish her to do about it. Then suddenly she cast the whole question from her, and plunged into her magazine, wondering why it was that almost any question that came into her mind promptly got around and entangled itself with Mr. Sidney Graham. What did he have to do with it, anyway? The magazine story was very interesting, and Shirley soon forgot everything else in the pleasure of surrendering herself to the printed page. An hour went by, another passed, and Shirley was still oblivious to all about her. Suddenly she became aware of a boy on a bicycle, riding almost up to the very steps and whistling vigorously. "'Miss Shirley Hollister here?' he demanded as he alighted on one foot on the lower step, the other foot poised for flight as soon as his errand should have been performed. "'Why, yes,' said Shirley, startled, struggling to her feet and letting a shower of magazines fall all about her. "'Long distance, wants yer,' he announced, looking her over apathetically. "'Mr. Barnard of Philadelphia wants to talk to yer.' And with the final word chanted nasally, he alighted upon his obedient steed and spun away down the walk again. "'But wait! Where shall I go? Where is the telephone?' "'Pay station!' shouted the impervious child, turning his head over his shoulder. "'Drug store! Two blocks from the post office!' 
Without waiting to go upstairs, Shirley, whose training had been to answer the telephone at once, caught up Elizabeth's parasol that lay on a settee by the door, rumpled her fingers through her hair by way of toilet, and hurried down the steps in the direction the boy had disappeared, wondering what in the world Mr. Barnard could want of her. Was he going to call her back from her vacation? Was this perhaps the only day she would have? This and yesterday? They would always be yesterday. With a sigh, she looked wistfully at the sea. If she had known a summons was to come so soon, she would not have wasted a second on magazines. She would have sat and gazed all afternoon at the sea. If Mr. Barnard wanted her, of course, she would have to go. Business was business, and she couldn't afford to lose her job, even with that fairy dream of $5,000 to her credit in the bank. She knew, of course, she meant to give that back. It was hers for the day, but it could not become tangible. It was beautiful, but it was right that it must go back, and if her employer felt he must cut short her vacation, why, of course, she must acquiesce and just be glad she had had this much. Perhaps it was just as well anyway, for as Sidney Graham came down and spent a few days, there was no knowing what foolish notions her heart would take, jumping and careening the way it had been doing lately, when he just looked at her. Yes, she would go back if Mr. Barnard wanted her. It was the best thing she could do though perhaps he would only be calling her to ask where she had left something for which they were searching. That stupid Ashton girl who took her place might not have remembered all her directions. Breathless, with possibilities crowding upon her mind, she hurried into the drug store and sought the telephone booth. It seemed ages before the connection was made, and she heard Mr. Barnard's dry, familiar tones over the phone. "'That you, Miss Hollister? This is Mr. Barnard.' I'm sorry to disturb you right in the midst of your holiday, but a matter has come up that is rather serious, and I'm wondering if you could help us out for a day or two. If you would, we'd be glad to give you fifty dollars for the extra time, and let you extend your vacation to a month instead of two weeks. Do you think you could spare a day or two to help us right away? Oh, why, yes, of course, faltered Shirley, her eyes dancing at the thought of the extra vacation and money. Thank you. "'I was sure you would,' said Mr. Barnard, with relief in his voice. "'You see, we have got that government contract. "'The news just came in the afternoon mail. "'It's rather particular business, because it has to do with matters "'that the government wishes to keep secret. "'I am to go down tomorrow morning to Washington to receive instructions, "'and I have permission to bring a trusted private secretary with me. "'Now you know, of course, that I couldn't take Miss Ashton.' She wouldn't be able to do what I want done, even if she were one I could trust not to say a word about the matter. I would take Jim Thorpe, but his father has just died, and I can't very well ask him to leave. Neither can I delay longer than tomorrow. Now the question is, would you be willing to go to Washington in the morning? I have looked up the trains, and I find you can leave the shore at 8.10 and meet me in Baltimore at 10 o'clock. I will be waiting for you at the train gate." "'But in case we miss each other, wait in the station close to the telephone booths till I find you. "'We will take the next train for Washington and be there a little before noon. "'If all goes well, we ought to be through our business in plenty of time to make a four o'clock train home. "'Of course there may be delays, and it is quite possible you might have to remain in Washington overnight, though I hardly think so. "'But, in case you do, I will see that you are safe and comfortable in a quiet hotel near the station.' where my wife's sister is staying this summer. Of course, your expenses will all be paid. I will telegraph and have a mileage book put at your disposal that you can call for, right there in your station in the morning. Are you willing to undertake this for us? I assure you, we shall not forget the service. 
when Shirley finally hung up the receiver and looked about the little country drug store in wonder at herself, the very bottles on the shelves seemed to be whirling and dancing about before her eyes. What strange, exciting things were happening to her, all in such breathless haste! Only one day at the shore, and a piece of another, and here she was with a trip to Washington on her hands. It certainly was bewildering to have things come in such rapid succession. She wished it had come at another time and not just now when she had not yet got used to the great sea and the wonder of the beautiful place where they were staying she did not want to be interrupted just yet it would not be quite the same when she got back to it she was afraid but of course she could not refuse it never entered her head to refuse she knew enough about the office to realize that mr barnard must have her jimmy thorpe would have been the one to go if he were available because he was a man and had been with barnard and clegg for ten years and knew all their most confidential business but of course jimmy could not go with his father lying dead and his mother and invalid sister needing him and there was no one else but herself she thought it all out on the way back to the cottage with a little pang at the thought of losing the next day and of having perhaps to stay over in washington a day and maybe miss the arrival of sidney graham if he should come in a day or two as he had promised he might even come and go back again before she was able to return and perhaps he would think her ungrateful to leave when he had been so kind to plan all this lovely vacation for her pleasure then she brought herself up smartly and told herself decidedly that it was nothing to him whether she was there or not and it certainly had no right to be anything to her it was a good thing she was going and would probably be a good thing for all concerned if she stayed until he went back to the city again with this firm determination she hurried up to the veranda where her mother sat with doris and told her story mrs hollister looked troubled i'm sorry you gave him an answer shirley without waiting to talk it over with me i don't believe i like the idea of your going to a strange city all alone that way of course mr barnard will look after you in a way but still he's a good deal of a stranger i do wish he had let you alone for your vacation it seems as if he might have found somebody else to go i wish mr graham was here i shouldn't wonder if he would suggest some way out of it for you but shirley stiffened into dignity at once really mother dear i'm sure i don't see what mr graham would have to say about it if he were here i shouldn't ask his advice you see mother really there isn't anybody else that could do this but jimmy thorpe and he's out of the question it would be unthinkable that i should refuse in this emergency and you know mr barnard has been very kind besides think of the ducky vacation i'll have afterward a whole month and all that extra money that shall go to the rent of a better house for winter think of it don't you worry mother dear there isn't a thing in the world could happen to me i'll be the very most discreetest person you ever heard of i'll even glance shyly at the white house and capitol come let's go up and get dolled up for supper won't the children be surprised when they hear i'm really to go to washington i'm so excited i don't know what to do mrs hollister said no more and entered pleasantly into the merry talk at the table telling shirley what she must be sure to see at the nation's capital but the next morning just as shirley was about to leave for the station escorted by all the children mrs hollister came with a package of addressed postal cards which she had made george get for her the night before and put them in shirley's bag just drop us a line as you go along dear she said i'll feel happier about it to be hearing from you mail one whenever you have the chance shirley laughed as she looked at the fat package all those mother dear you must expect i am going to stay a month you know i won't have much time for writing and i fully expect to be back to-night or to-morrow at the latest 
"'Well, that's all right,' said her mother. "'You can use them another time, then. "'But you can just put a line on one whenever it is convenient. "'I shall enjoy getting them even after you get back. "'You know this is your first journey out into the world alone.' "'Shirley stooped to kiss the little mother. "'All right, dear. I'll write you a serial story. "'Each one continued in our next. "'Good-bye. Don't take too long a walk today. "'I want you rested to hear all I'll have to tell you when I get back tonight.' Shirley wrote the first postal card as soon as she was settled in the train, describing the other occupants of the car and making a vivid picture of the landscape that was slipping by her windows. She wrote the second in the Baltimore station after she had met Mr. Barnard while he went to get seats in the parlor car, and she mailed them both at Baltimore. The third was written as they neared Washington, with the dim vision of the great monument dawning on her wondering sight in the distance. Her last sentence gave her first impression of the nation's capital. They had eaten lunch in the dining-car, a wonderful experience to the girl, and she promised herself another postal devoted to that. But there was no time to write more after they reached Washington. She was put into a taxi and whirled away to an office where her work began. She caught glimpses of great buildings on the way, and gazed with awe at the dome of the Capitol building. Mr. Barnard was kind, and pointed out this and that, but it was plain his mind was on the coming interview. When Shirley sat at last in a quiet corner of a big, dark office, her pen poised, her notebook ready for work, and looked at the serious faces of the men in the room, she felt as if she had been rushed through a treasure vault of glorious jewels and thrust into the darkness of a tomb. But presently the talk about her interested her. Things were being said about the vital interests of the country, scraps of sentences that reminded her of the trend of talk in the daily papers and the headings of front columns. She looked about her with interest, and noted the familiarity with which these men quoted the words of those high up in authority in the government. With awe she began her work, taking down whatever Mr. Barnard dictated, her fingers flying over the tiny pages of the notebook in small neat characters, keeping pace with the voices going on about her. The detail work she was setting down was not of a special interest to her, save that it was concerned with government work, for its phraseology was familiar and a part of her daily routine office work at home, but she set every sense on the alert to get the tiniest detail and not to make the smallest mistake, understanding from the voices of the men about her that it was of vital interest to the country that this order should be filled quickly and accurately. As she capped her fountain pen and slipped the rubber band on her notebook when it was over, she heard one of the men just behind her say in a low tone to Mr. Barnard, "'You're sure of your secretary, of course. I just want to give you the tip that this thing is being very closely watched. We have reason to believe there's some spying planned. Keep your notes carefully, and don't let too many in on this. We know pretty well what's going on, but it's not desirable just now to make any arrests until we can watch a little longer and round up the whole party.' "'So keep your eyes peeled and don't talk.' "'Oh, certainly, I quite understand,' said Mr. Barnard. "'And I have a most discreet secretary.' And he glanced with a significant smile toward Shirley as she rose. "'Of course,' said the other. "'She looks it.' And he bowed deferentially to Shirley as she passed. She did not think of it at the time, but afterwards she recalled how in acknowledging his courtesy she had stepped back a little and almost stumbled over a page, a boy about George's age, who had been standing withdrawn into the shadow of the deep window. She remembered he had a keen, intelligent look, and had apologized and vanished immediately. A moment later it seemed to be the same boy in blue clothes and gilt buttons who held the outer door open for them to pass out. Or oh, was this a taller one? She glanced again at his side face with a lingering thought of George as she paused to fasten her glove and slip her notebook into her handbag. 
I think I will put you into the taxi and let you go right back to the station while I attend to another errand over at the War Department. It won't take me long. We can easily catch that four o'clock train back. I suppose you are anxious to get back tonight. Oh, yes, said Shirley earnestly. I must, if possible. Mother isn't well, and she worries so easily. Well, I don't know why we can't. Then perhaps you can come up to town tomorrow and type those notes for us. By the way, I guess it would be better for me to take them and lock them in the safe tonight. No, don't stop to get them out now, as Shirley began to unfasten her bag and get the notebook out. We haven't much time if we want to catch that train. Just look after them carefully, and I'll get them when we are on the train. He helped her into the taxi, gave the order, to the station, and touching his hat, went rapidly over to the War Department building. No one saw a boy with a blue cap and brass buttons steal forth on a bicycle from the court just below the office, and circling about the asphalt uncertainly for a moment, shoot off across the park. Shirley sat up very straight, and kept her eyes about her. She was glad they were taking another way to the station, so that she might see more. When she got there, she would write another postal, and perhaps it would go on the same train with her. It was all too short, that ride up Pennsylvania Avenue and around by the Capitol. Shirley gathered up her bag and prepared to get out reluctantly. She wished she might have just one more hour to go about, but of course that would be impossible if she wished to reach home tonight. But before the driver of the car could get down and open the door for her to get out, a boy with a bicycle slid up to the curb, and touching his gilt-button cap, respectfully said, "'Excuse me, miss, but Mr. Barnard sent me after you.' He says there's been some mistake, and you'll have to come back and get it corrected. Oh, said Shirley, too surprised to think for a minute. Oh, then please hurry, for Mr. Barnard wants to get back in time to get that four o'clock train. The driver frowned, but the boy stepped up and handed him something, saying, That's all right, Joe. He sent you this. The driver's face cleared, and he started his machine again. The boy vanished into the throng. It was another of Shirley's after-memories that she had caught a glimpse of a scrap of paper along with the money the boy had handed the driver, and that he had stuffed it in his pocket after looking intently at it. But at the time she thought nothing of it. She was only glad that they were skimming along rapidly. End of chapter 21